John chapter 12, verse 27. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Then the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light." These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. This is God's word. Let's pray this morning. The title of the message this morning is One Final Plea. One Final Plea. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, music and the singing. And Lord, we pray that it has been glorifying to your name. Now fill me with your spirit as I preach. And may your word accomplish your a purpose in the hearts of those who hear it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to tell you again. I was no stranger to these words when I was a child. Too many times my mom and my dad would have to remind me gently that they had told me to do something. And when I had not done it, what do you think they told me? They said, Aaron, you'd better do this or you're going to lose this, this privilege here. You're going to get this punishment. But they finally, their patience wore thin, and they would finally say, I'm not going to tell you again. Some of you may be familiar with these words as well. Whether you tell your children or your grandchildren, I think all of us are familiar with that phrase. Clean your room, pick up your clothes, finish your food, stop playing around that vase. I'm not going to tell you again. Usually this was a sign that if I continued misbehaving or if I continued doing the things that I was not supposed to be doing or ignoring what they were saying, the next time that I would hear from my mom or my dad would not be for them to remind me to do it, but it would be because I was getting a punishment for my actions at that point. I'm not going to tell you again means just that. You're not going to get another chance. You have one last chance to obey or you will face the consequences. Jesus very clearly in this passage makes one final plea publicly. If you examine this chapter that we're in John chapter 12, if you fast forward through chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, this is the final time that John records Jesus' public invitation to accept him as their savior. This is the final time the crowd is going to have. This is the last chance that those that have been peripheral around Jesus, this is the last chance that they will have 
before Jesus is crucified. And so soon, in just a few days, the same crowd that has been crying, Hosanna, and you are the Messiah, and you are our Savior, the very same crowd that would yell those words in the beginning of John chapter 12, that same crowd would begin to shout, crucify him, crucify him, in a few chapters. This is indeed the last public invitation Jesus gives. One final plea. And the application for us as a church is this. You do not have as much time as you think you have. You do not have as much time as you think you have to believe in Jesus. I want us this morning to look at the nature of Jesus' final public plea here and apply it to our lives this morning. This is important because many of us, though we have received Christ, we know somebody that has not received Christ yet. We know the urgency with which Jesus is speaking this public plea this morning. We know that not everybody around us or those who are close to us will indeed accept Jesus, and yet Jesus is here making a public final plea, just as we ought to make final pleas to those around us that need to receive Christ. And if you are here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, well, consider this. This may be your final public plea to receive Christ as well. If you do not know Jesus this morning, you've come to the right place to find out more about him. Let's look at the nature of Jesus' final public plea for those around him to believe. The first thing I see is this, that anxiety did not keep Jesus from his purpose. Anxiety did not keep Jesus from his purpose. Look at verse number 27 with me, if you will. He says this, this is Jesus speaking, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. The first thing that I see Jesus saying in this verse, verse number 27, is this. He acknowledges his own feelings. He acknowledges his own feelings. Now my soul is troubled. Did you know that Jesus felt distress and anxiety and, and, and uh, worry just like we do? Just because he was God did not mean that he was not subject to the same emotions that we are. In fact, that was one of the reasons why he came to earth, was so that he could experience life just as you and I experience it firsthand. Jesus acknowledged his feelings, and he publicly said, my soul is troubled. I have anxiety during this time. I am troubled. And would you not feel trouble as well if you knew that in just four or five days, you as well would be facing the most cruel crucifixion, the most cruel execution known to man. Jesus felt distress. The word for troubled is, uh, in the Greek, it is uh, used to convey inward commotion. It's used to convey distress, anxiety. Jesus felt the same emotions that we feel when we are confronted with an unpleasant situation. Perhaps even this week, you are confronted with an uncomfortable situation. We faced that two days ago, actually. Uh, in fact, two days ago, I get a phone call from my wife, and he was sitting right back here on the last row, and she said to me on the phone, she said, babe, I think I broke a tooth. And I said, you did what? And she, fair enough, she, she was eating, she felt something that was off with her tooth, and a piece came off in her hand, she sent me a picture of it. And there's half her tooth in her hand right there, in a picture. And I said, oh boy, this is going to be expensive. <laughs> what do we do? 
Fortunately, we were able to get into a dentist. They got us in uh, yesterday. She had to have a root canal done. Uh, and many, many dollars later, she is sitting here uh, comfortable enough to chew at least and eat some food. Discomfort, anxiety, emotional distress. How am I going to pay for this? Uh, what are we going to do about this? I'm sure Jesus felt the same way that we often do sometimes when we're confronted with something that we do not understand or we do not want to face. And yet Jesus being God, he acknowledges his feelings, but he also rejects his choice alternative. What does he say? Verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Jesus says, what am I going to say? I know that I am worried about this, but what am I going to do? It's not like I can say, Father, you can just take me home now. I, I changed my mind about saving humanity. Uh, let's cut this short. Let's do the operation abort. You see, it was unthinkable, actually, for Jesus to call his father to save him from the cross. In fact, it was God's will. It was the father's will that Jesus came to this very moment in human history. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 says this, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The English Standard Version translates that phrase as this, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the Father's will that Jesus come to this very point in his life to suffer not for his own sins, but to suffer for the sins that were committed by me and by you this morning. He rejects the easy alternative of going back to heaven without having to suffer this horrible death. Why? Because he loves you, my friend because he loves you, because he wanted to die for you. He reiterates his purpose in verse 27. He says this, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. The purpose that Jesus is speaking of is found in verses 24 and 25. He says this in verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus did not come to earth just to have a good time, although he had good times, I'm sure. He did not come to earth just to perform some miracles, although he did perform some miracles. He did not come to earth just to impress people, although many people were impressed with Jesus. No, Jesus came to earth for a specific mission, a specific directive, and that mission was to die for your sins and mine. It was to die for the sins of all of mankind. If Jesus had not given his life, then all of the other things that he would have done would have been for nothing. Because indeed, his death is the climax. It is the epicenter. It is the hinge on, a on which all of human history turns. Jesus' death is what we define history by. What year is it today? It is the year 2023 A.D. In the year of our Lord. You see, even the atheist, when he tells time and when he has to tell what year it is, even the atheist has to admit and has to acknowledge 
that the very thing that we keep time with, the very thing that we keep track of our months and our years, all reflect Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. All of history turns around the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He reiterates his purpose, and that purpose is this. It is to die for the sins of humanity. And yet anxiety did not keep Jesus, Jesus from doing this. He reiterates his purpose, but he, he also receives an assurance from the Father in verse 28. In verse 28, he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The Father only speaks audibly a few times throughout the Gospels. This is the third time, as far as we can tell, that's recorded in the Gospels that he speaks. The first time being Jesus' baptism. The Father speaks audibly from the heavens. The second time is Jesus' transfiguration. We find that in all of the three other Gospels, the synoptics. And then the third time is right here in this passage. The Father speaks audibly. He thunders out his voice and says, I will glorify it yet again. Jesus asks to glorify the Father, and the Father says, absolutely, I'm right here with you, son. I will glorify my name again. Know this. If you are going through a tough time, if you're going through an anxious or anxiety-inducing trial right now, would you know this? If you are a Christian this morning, the Father is there with you. Do not let anxiety, do not let stress, do not let worry, do not let the cares of this life prevent you from living on mission for God. Jesus did not let his emotions or his stress or his worry keep him from doing what God set him there to accomplish, and neither ought we let our feelings, our emotions, our trials, our difficulties, we should let none of those things affect our purpose. Jesus has given us a task to accomplish. You, each of you, have a calling from God. Whatever that calling is, I know it is at least this, to serve Jesus Christ in whatever capacity that he has called you to. Do not let difficulties or trials keep you from that. Whatever it is for you this morning, know that the Father is with you. Because nobody said that the mission would be easy. Nobody said the Christian life is a bed of roses. Nobody has said that the Christian life is the easiest thing you will ever do. But I will tell you this much, the Christian life is eternally better than the alternative. If you give up on the Christian life and you turn back to the old lifestyle, I guarantee you there are some old stories that you can tell of sadder times, more difficult times. The, pro the book of Proverbs says this, the way of the transgressor is hard. The Christian life, if it is lived on mission, may earn you some anxiety, church, but it will never be empty of the Father's assurance. Live with eternity in view. Don't let your stresses and anxieties and worries prevent you from serving the Lord. When I was about five or six years old, I was growing, I, I'm from California, for those of you that don't know me as well. I'm from California I am Chinese. That may surprise you, some of you, you know. Um, that was a joke, okay. Uh, but my parents are both Chinese, and uh, one of the things that is common over there as we were growing up was to send your, your Chinese kid to Chinese school on Saturday mornings, okay? This is, uh, this is something 
kind of odd to, to those of us here, but if you wanted your child to learn your mother tongue, as uh, some of us might want our children to learn a different language, uh, you would send them to a school that would teach them this. And so for me, when I was five or six years old, I would go every Saturday morning to a school in the area that would have uh, Chinese language courses specifically to teach me. I had no idea what was going on. I was five years old. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't want anything to do with, with what was going on at, in the classroom at that point. But there was something that we had to do. There was a song that we had to perform with little actions and everything on a stage. And all, sem- all summer we would, pre- we would prepare for this. We would uh, practice a song in the classroom. Me and all the other kids would get in a circle. We would practice this and practice this and practice this. And as a kid, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know what we're doing this for, but okay, let's fine, let's do it. Until the day came where we had to actually go to the school auditorium, and my mom and dad told me that you have to perform this song with your friends in front of everybody else's parents. And five-year-old me thought to myself, there's no way I want to do that. I do not want to get on a stage in front of people and perform a song with hand motions and all of these things. It is the last thing that I wanted to do. I was scared, shaking in my boots, so to speak, because I did not want to do this. And you know what my parents did? They promised me, Aaron, if you'll get up there with all the other children and if you perform the song, we will take you to the zoo afterward. And so my little five-year-old mind is weighing the options here. I cannot, I cannot do this. I can absolutely refuse to. I can run away and not go to the zoo. Or I can, I can bear it for five minutes that it takes for me to get on the stage, do the song, and get off. And then I can go to the zoo afterward. I didn't really have a choice, but, you know, this is what I was, this is what I was weighing my options. My parents were going to make me get on the stage regardless. But I got on that stage, and I decided I'm going to go through this great storm. I'm going to go through this stage fright and the nervousness for five minutes so that way I can spend a day at the zoo with my parents afterward. And it's a very fond memory that I have. I told you that story to say this. Do not let the brief afflictions of this present time deter you from the eternal destination that God has for you. Do not let your troubles and your fears and your worries get in the way of something that is far better. Jesus did not let his anxiety keep him from his purpose. The second thing I see is this. The power of Jesus is irresistible. The power of Jesus is is irresistible. Verse number 30, Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. The voice of God did not come because Jesus needed assurance. No, it came to demonstrate that Jesus indeed was here and the Father was putting his stamp of approval upon his Son. And so for all of those people around him to listen to Jesus' teachings and to watch his miracles knew that not only was Jesus performing miracles that they could believe on, but the very God of heaven approved of it. You see, though, some people did not understand what the voice was saying. You look at the next verse. This voice did not come from Yours, uh, this vo- I'm sorry, verse 29. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. Not everybody is going to understand the voice of God. Surely not everybody understood the voice of God in this instance. But the ones that did knew who it was. 
they would receive Jesus gladly. They, their faith would be solidified even more. And as Jesus is drawing people to himself and this final plea, he makes this statement in verse number 31. Now is, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. I want to sum up this verse in just one sentence. Satan is as good as defeated. Jesus has not want, gone to the cross yet. He has not shed one drop of blood yet. But Jesus makes this declarative statement that now, even right now, I am as powerful and I am as omnipotent and I as am omniscient as the Father. And because of that, Jesus says, Satan is as good as defeated now. The one who holds these people in bondage once held me in bondage as well. Satan holds us in bondage. Our sin nature holds us in bondage until we come face to face with our creator, with Jesus Christ. And that day that Satan's power will be nullified. The curse of sin would be no longer. The Jews have no idea yet of just exactly what this means, though. They do not understand quite, as we can see in the very next verse. The people answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? No more sacrifices, Jesus? Uh, no more bondage? No more trying to please God through keeping all of the rules? Is your heart still ruled by yourself this morning? You see, with these Jews here, their hearts were still ruled by what they knew the law held them to. They knew that if they kept the law or if they tried to keep the law, they could at least avoid the penalty of sin for a time, but they did not understand that Jesus... God's Passover lamb was standing directly in front of them. They did not understand that no longer, very soon the law would have no effect. Very soon that they would not have to keep every jot and tittle of the law. And so I tell you this morning, are you still trusting in something other than Jesus to get you to heaven? Are you still trusting in what you can do? Are you still trusting in what you can figure out and what you can earn and what you can give? Or will you trust Jesus today? He goes on, I don't have time to dwell on that for right now, but verse 32, he says this, And if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And this is where Jesus becomes irresistible. How many paintings and how many pictures have you seen of Jesus on the cross? How many people's jewelry have you seen that depict a cross? What is so attractive about an execution implement? You would not uh, make some jewelry out of a, an electric chair. You would not make jewelry out of a guillotine. What is it about the cross? What is it about the death of Jesus that draws people to himself? You see this morning, my friend, this was no ordinary execution of a common criminal. This was the very son of God. You see in this verse, this is also an allusion to salvation coming to us. What does it say there? If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to me. There is no person excluded to whom the gift of salvation is offered. 
There is nobody that is too far gone from God. Jesus draws the rich person. He draws the poor person. He draws the minimum wage earner. He draws the Fortune 500 CEO. He draws the black person, the white person, and everyone in between. He draws the Democrat, the Republican, the rich person, and the poor person. Jesus draws everyone to himself because he is the person that everyone needs. Everybody needs Jesus. The cross of Christ is both attractive and offensive. Even right now, on the news this week, I saw that there is a bill being considered in the Israeli parliament. This bill, if it is passed, it would ban Christians from evangelizing in the nation of Israel. This article reads, and I quote, The law would apply to anyone who would attempt to persuade someone to change their religious beliefs. However, the legislation specifically mentions the Christian faith saying that recently the attempts of missionary groups, mainly Christians, to solicit conversion of religion have increased. Praise the Lord for that. Christians have been so active in the nation of Israel that the, that the government in Israel thinks it is necessary for them to pass a law to prohibit more missionary activity. Praise the Lord for that. But pray for the nation of Israel as well, because under this new law, it would be illegal for any Christians to talk with any Jews about why they believe Jesus is the Messiah. Even today, the Jewish people are still resistant to the idea that Jesus is the true Messiah. The cross is both compelling and attractive, and it is also offensive and divisive. Jesus compels us to accept him. Have you accepted Christ this morning? He makes one final plea in this passage. Will you accept Christ today? Jesus did not let his anxiety keep him from his purpose. We see that the power of Jesus is irresistible, but then finally this morning we see this. Believe in Jesus while you still can. Believe in Jesus while you still can. You know that these people, they knew kind of who Jesus was. They understood that he was powerful. They understood that he was different from all the other rabbis. In verse number 34, the people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? You see, they did not understand that Jesus was about to die. They did not understand that their idea of a political savior did not match the purpose of Jesus' spiritual savior. They did not understand that when Jesus entered the gates in Jerusalem, he did not enter it as a political uh, savior to overthrow the Roman government that they were being oppressed by. They thought that's who he was, but they did not understand his true purpose. They did not understand passages like Isaiah chapter 53. The idea of the suffering servant. They knew all of the other Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah would reign forever, the Messiah would bring peace and through his government, the Messiah would bring all of these things to the nation of Israel, but they did not understand that the Messiah had to die first. They were not as familiar with Isaiah 53. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand this. The time to believe in me is running out. 
Verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. Believe while you have the light. You will not always have the truth of the gospel accessible to you as it is today. It even, even more so to these Jewish people who just a few moments ago were, 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 raise, were raising palm branches in recognition of who Jesus was, who were throwing down their clothes so that Jesus could ride over their cloaks. The same people that did those things would soon cry crucify him. They were nominally accepting of Jesus, and yet Jesus pleads with them as he pleads with you today, believe while you still can. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The Bible says that you do not have a guarantee of tomorrow, my friend. You can die on the way home from church today without Christ. May it not be so. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But even if you live to a ripe old age, there's another danger that I must tell you about, and that is this. You may reject Jesus to the point where there is no more salvation available to you. You may reject Jesus over and over and over again to the point where God finally says, all right, you've rejected me for the last time, now I'm just going to leave you to your own devices. And I think that is a far worse alternative than the first one. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, let me prove it to you. Romans 1, 21, because although they, do, they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Eventually, God's going to give you up. You reject the Holy Spirit's calling. You reject Jesus' uh, calling. You reject the message that I am preaching to you over and over and over again, repeatedly. And there is coming a day. What do we see in the Old Testament? Those of you that may know the story of the exodus of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, what happened? Pharaoh had multiple times to let God's people go. The first time, the second time, the third time, all down through the ten plagues. Pharaoh hardened his heart over and over and over again. And somewhere along the line, the fifth or the sixth time, God finally says, not that Pharaoh hardened his heart. At that point, God tells us that God started hardening Pharaoh's heart from that point onward. You can reject the message of Jesus over and over and over again. You can harden your heart over and over and over again and tell yourself, I can accept Christ anytime I want to. I can get religion at any time in the future, but right now I want to do this. Right now I'm pursuing this career. I'm pursuing this relationship. I am doing this right now that is so important to me. I'm going to reject Christ for the time being, and I will accept him later. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have the ability tomorrow as well. God may give you over as he did in Romans he may give you over as he did to the Pharaoh in Exodus. He may give you over to as he did to the entire nation of Israel as he did in Romans 9. 
the time to believe is running out, your rejection of Christ will eventually lead to God hiding himself from you. A sobering thought, but the, the final verse that we read, verse 36, while you, may ha- while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And then it says this, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. It's a scary day when Jesus hides himself from you. When you get to the point that you've rejected Christ over and over and over again, and Jesus says, okay, I'm going to hide myself from you. No longer will you have the opportunity. No longer you've made your choice. Make no mistake, my friend, if you keep rejecting Christ, there may come a day in your life when God will hide from you. Oh, would you accept Christ today if you haven't? If you have not received Jesus as your Savior, would you do that today? This led me to thinking about expiration dates of coupons. And did you know what I found this week? Bed Bath & Beyond was founded in 1971, and they opened two stores, one in New York and one in New Jersey. And over the years, Bed Bath & Beyond became famous for their 20% off coupons that displayed an expiration date, but everybody knew that if you took the coupon to Bed Bath & Beyond, even if it was past the expiration date, uh, they would still honor the coupon. And so what did this lead to? This led to lots of people hoarding their coupons over the years from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. People had drawers full in their house of Bed Bath & Beyond coupons just in case they would go to the store and need it the next time they were there. Until April of this year. In April of 2023, Bed Bath & Beyond filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And they said past April 30th, they would not honor any Bed Bath & Beyond coupons. You see, they did have an expiration date. After 52 years of business, at the end of April, Bed Bath & Beyond said, we're throwing in the towel. We're done. We're pulling out of the market. Use your coupons while you still can. My friends, the time is coming when your coupon is approaching the expiration date. You will not have forever. Walk in the light while you still have the light, Jesus says. Believe in Jesus while you still have the time. What do we see in this passage? Number one, we see that Jesus did not let anxiety keep him from his purpose. We see, secondly, that the power of Jesus is irresistible. But then finally, in the most sobering point of this message today, believe in Jesus while you still can. Would you pray with me this morning?